What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Lorehammer Listener Lore, the Warhammer 40k podcast where you get to write the script. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show, and maybe even jump your story in the line, or maybe even read stories with me, or maybe you have a story you'd like to read to me, head on over to Patreon at Lorehammer Listener Lore and check out all the cool ways to get involved and support the show. Enjoy. Lord, the 40k podcast where you get to write the script i'm your host mark and joining me again is Trainwreck. how's it going buddy hey mark how you doing thanks for having me back on yeah very good uh last time together we just ran some random dude story but today we're gonna read your story what did you write for us um a chapter overview of my homebrew chapter okay okay um that's all that's all the spoilers we get i guess until we Get into it. Oh, yeah. That, that's all you get. That's teasing the teaser. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm very teased. Um, I'm looking at the Word document right now, and your very first page is just a picture of a bright yellow space marine. He's got white trim on his shoulder pads and knees in a couple areas. The white helmet looks very cool. Um, yeah. yeah, it's based on my – I have an Imperial Fist veterans first company, um, and yeah. I did all white trim. So, But I don't want to write lore about Imperial Fist, so – that's okay. why I went around. Okay, that, that's a good little workaround. Yeah, that Imperial Fist veteran look with the white helmet is just fucking so cool. Yeah, that's my favorite color scheme. Yeah. Um, they have a black face mask on your guys, so I'm curious if that's going to tie in somehow or if that's just a random kind of color that you put there. No, it's, it's actually the white on white on this actual generator looks stupid, so I thought mm. to add it to I'm like, oh, why not? Let's make it look cool. They look okay. angrier. <laughs> Okay, nice. Yeah, no, it looks cool. All right, let's, uh, let's get into it. Overview. 
the seven suns were created to defend three systems in the Chiro system sector. Kairos. <laughs> Kairos. <laughs> in the Cairo sector, located on the western edge of the Segmentum Tempestus. The chapter is stationed on a huge orbital around Zion 5 and recruit from the hive world of Zion 4. The suns are non-codex compliant with lots of change over the three millennia since their creation. Founding in history. The seven suns were created during the 23rd, the Sentinel founding, at the end of M37. Originally, they were designated suns of the seven when they're founded and operated for 1,200 years until it's changed to the seven suns by chapter master Totoshal. It was specifically created to defend three systems of the Cairo sector, located on the western edge of the Segmentum Tempestus. Large auric incursions were coming in from the Segmentum Pacificus and raiding outlying worlds of the Cairo sector. It wasn't these that concerned the High Lords, but rather Forge World Rubius and the two nearby systems that support this Forge World. Forge World Rubius, Zion 4, Zion 5, and Eternus are the worlds located in the system that must be defended no matter the cost. While they were designated to stop the direct incursion by orcs trying to expand out into, into the Segmentum Pacificus, they have also been active in fending off Drakari raiders. Most recently, with the emergence of the Necron in the galaxy, the Suns have also started actively attacking the small dynasty of Nepuru in the Segmentum Pacificus. Okay, cool. That's some uh, nice little details there. Some like enemies that they specifically don't like, why they were founded. Yeah, I really wanted to give um, legitimate, like the 23rd founding is called the Sentinel founding. I try to really go into it. Uh, and I tried to find a place that was kind of far away from everything going on with the, the, the rift now. So it's kind of on the, the, the Kairosis sector. I kind of was like right there on the edge and it is known for orc incursions. Nice. And uh, the Sentinel founding, that's just like the chapters created for that were specifically created for defensive purposes, essentially. So the 23rd founding, as I understand it, it was right after the age of apostasy or probably the Goge War or whatever, which one yeah. it was. And basically um, the High Lord said, hey, we need to create a founding to restock our loyalist space marines because they all died in the last civil war we just fought. Okay. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yes. So they just created another one. Nice. Uh, and then the cool part that I'm looking forward to learning more about is why they changed their chapter name. Because I, I know there's some tie-ins to uh, just why, but I can't wait to share it. <laughs> yep. I can't wait to. All right. I'll take it up at Planets of Note. In the northern part of the Cairo sector, there are three systems that fall under the direct protection of the Seventh Sons. The first is a system of Kaivis, the home of the Seven Suns. This system is made up of two large gas giants around the second planet named Zion, seven moons orbit. The fourth moon, Zion 4, is the homeworld of the chapter. Zion 5 is the only other moon that has a breathable atmosphere. Zion 5 is completely given over to the home of the Zion Armor Regiment, known as the Iron Knights. There are vast open areas, give plenty of room for the multiple regiments stationed there to train. The rest of the moons around Zion and the other gas giant are comprised of various ores that are mined and sent either to Zion 5's Manufactorums or Forge World Rebus. 
Forge World Rebus is the only inhabitable world in the Rebus system. However, due to the vast pollution caused by all of the industry, unaugmented humans must wear rebreathers or risk dying in a matter of minutes. The main industry of the Forge World Rebus is its shipyards that produce all but the grandest sized class of ships for the Imperial Navy. Newly built ships are deployed by the Administratum pursuant to its determinations of requirements of the Imperial Navy. The Forge World ensures that there are always enough ships available for the Cairo sector fleet and therefore is comprised of all ships made from Rebus. Fleet command of this fleet is located on an orbital that circles the eighth planet in the system. Eternus is an extremely large agri-world. It is the only planet in the system and it's circled by two moons. Even though it is sparsely populated, it is heavily guarded for the simple fact that without it, both Zion and Rebus would starve. There are five heavily armed and fortified orbital platforms surrounding Eternus, giving pause to all but the most deranged fleet commander. Eternus is the only planet in the Cairo sector to never had had an enemy touch its surface. In 243 M39, the entire second battle company of the Seven Suns boarded a space hole teeming with orcs that was just outside the Eternus system and heading directly for the agri-world. Fighting nonstop all the way to the core and realizing they did not have sufficient strength to defeat the orcs, Captain Kael detonated the cyclonic torpedo that was transported by his company for such a possible outcome. When the company strike cruiser returned to the chapter monastery, there were only 38 surviving battle brothers. Oh, geez. Oh, those poor guys. That's cool. That's like such a cool honor <laughs> yeah. to be like, yeah, this planet has never had Zeno step on it. Not even once. Like it's... <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you get those filthy fucking orcs on there, then that agri yeah. world sucks. <laughs> yeah. That's a shitty place all of a sudden. No, that's such a cool, like, uh, I would like to see like uh, some of them chant that in like their motto or something, you know, like. Oh, that would be cool, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I can see that as like a huge pride for the chapter. Like, no enemy yep. has ever stepped here. Very cool. Jumping back to the beginning of this segment, uh, you mentioned the Zion Armor Regiment and the Iron Knights on Zion 5. Can you tell me a little mm -hmm. bit more about that? Is that an Imperial Guard tank regiment? Yes. Or? Okay. It is. Um, I kind of threw it in there. Just uh, You'll see in the culture with the way it's designed um, that they, they have a surplus of population. So, of course, they're going to join a Guard Regiment. Yeah. And... I like tanks, so I was like, all right, let's put them on tanks. Yeah, might as well. Okay. Yeah, the, the Iron Knights, I was like, oh, is there a knight regiment here all of a sudden? But what you have is pretty oh, no. cool, too. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not going to go Mary Sue on that. Ah, oh, man. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm always good for Mary Sue Knights. That's the one thing that'll get that'll get me. <laughs> well, damn it. You should have told me that. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah, I also like the, the shipyard that you have, too. There's some cool details about, like, Oh, the unaugmented humans and shit <laughs> dying yeah, in a matter of minutes yeah it's all smog choked freaking <laughs> china air good that means they're working hard exactly 26 hours a day <laughs> on a 25 hour rotation yeah it's perfect for them they love it all right let's jump into the gene seed of your chapter the seventh son's gene seed comes from the imperial fists whether this decision was due to relatively stable gene seed or the hope in the myth that the gene seed have a direct reflection of the chapter is lost to time. The seven sons do venerate Rolgodorn as their progenitor and actively try to emulate his tactical acumen regarding defense. 
Every Battle Brother studies the sacred tomes that tell of the Battle of Terra and the strategies used by Dorne. As with the Imperial Fist, their Betcher's gland and Suzanne membrane are not functional. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Just basic Imperial Fist gene seed. Yeah. I like that little uh, dig where they're like, uh, we're not sure if it's going to directly affect how they act. Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. And that's going back to, I remember when you guys were talking about gene seed and how, you know, it's like people always focus on, oh, if they want to be defenders, they've got to be Imperial Fist. Well, no, they can be anything. Or if they want to be berserkers, they have to be whatever. Yeah. So that I got that dig from you guys. So I like shout it. Out. I, I like it. Come on, keep spreading the good lore. Uh, I also like that, like, they study the Battle of Terror. Like, that's their sacred tome. Like, that's a exactly. cool, cool thing to pick up on. Yeah. Yeah. Culture. All right. I'm going to jump into the big one here. To understand the culture of the Seven Sons, you must first learn of their homeworld, Zion 4. Zion 4 is a moon of the gas giant Zion, as is Zion 5, where the Chapter Fortress Monastery orbital circles the planet. Zion 4 was colonized in M34 and was designated as a cemetery world due to its wide open terrain with no mountain ranges to speak of and only one large body of water. There are two high cities that contain now more than 6 trillion imperial citizens, most of which are under the age of 20. Over the course of 6,000 years, the imperial cult has changed slightly, but well within the parameters of the imperial cult as preached on Terra. It is such that the high lords have deemed no need to correct the variation of this teaching. The cult of Zion has taken a strong numerology-centric teaching, teaching all its citizens that seven is the holy number of the God Emperor. This is proven several ways as there are seven moons surrounding the planet of Zion. And there are seven stars in the constellation of the protector that is seen in the general direction of the Astronomicon. But most importantly, the God Emperor had seven holy sons, which he called the Primarchs. Early on, as this was feverishly taught on Zion, that the family units were told that to emulate the God Emperor, you must have seven offspring. M35, the population of Zion IV had exploded so much that the ecclesiarchy felt they were losing control of the populace and had to do something drastic to maintain their place in the hierarchy. So it was decided that a crusade was declared and three-sevenths of the population of Zion IV were conscripted into the Crusade of the Righteous. Ironically, only local freighters were placed in command of the Crusade of the Righteous. The bishops and cardinals, regrettably, were forced to stay behind and tend to the flocks personally. As it was, on 893M35, the Crusade of the Righteous was launched in the direction of the constellation of the Protector to burn all enemies of the God Emperor. Historical records do not mention a single planet conquered or liberated by this crusade and the ecclesiarchy on Zion IV has lost all contact with them within four months. Changes were made to the cult of Zion's preaching. Firstly, the family unit was abolished as the God Emperor had no spouse, but only his duty to his people. Therefore, marriage was deemed heretical. Secondly, every female was ordered by the God Emperor to bear him seven offspring before moving to their predestined role as ordained by birth order. This was accomplished through artificial dissemination, lest bonds be established between male and female. Lastly, the holy predestined order was taught. The first and second offspring produced 
were ordained to go to the Zion Armor Regiment. If either child was a female, this was placed on hold until she delivered her seven offspring. As soon as the males hit puberty and could donate their DNA, they would do so, then be shipped to the military base on Zion 5 to learn to operate the numerous Lehman Rust variants. The females would join them only if they completed the seven offsprings. The third offspring to be produced is ordained to join the Imperial Navy at the shipyards located around Fort World Rebus with the same constraints of the Holy Predestined Order placed upon them. The fourth and fifth are ordained to work in the manufacturers of Zion 5, building the holy battle tanks and ammunition for the Zion Regiment. The sixth child produced is ordained to tend to the cemetery world and continue the holy work of digging more tombs, as well as tending to the already enshrined heroes of the Imperium, as well as administering the day-to-day -day functions of the world. The holy ordained seventh offspring, whether male and female was not required to contribute in any way of producing offspring. At the beginning of the Colts New Teaching, the seventh offspring were sent to the Scala Progenium. It is there these children would find their true mission from the God Emperor, to become a commissar, a member of the ecclesiarchy, or even in some cases, the females were called to join the Order of the Righteous Martyrs, the local convent of the Sisters of Battle. Once the Sons of the Seventh arrived at Zion to establish their fortress monastery, the cult of Zion claimed they were told by the God Emperor that all male seventh offspring were to serve the sons of the seventh, whether that service be as a full space marine or chapter serfs, or even as servitors, it was ordained by the God Emperor as the most holy thing a son of Zion could do. Over the next millennia that followed, the entirety of the chapter began to be totally comprised of space marines recruited from Zion IV. The Sons of the Seventh slowly moved away from the Codex Astartes. They developed a new doctrine that matched their role assigned to the sector and their homeworld beliefs. 1,200 years after the inception, chapter master Tortle Shaw changed the name from Sons of the Seventh to the Seventh Sons. While the sons do not worship the god emperor as a god, they do venerate him as a great man with powers that can smite anything that chaos gods choose to attack with. The chapter does not share their views with the human population of Zion 4 and do nothing to challenge their beliefs in the god emperor. The sons don't want to disrupt what they view as a functioning system that produces valuable manpower, tanks, and most importantly, new recruits to refill the chapter's losses. The seven sons have accepted the reinforcements of Primaris Marines and acknowledges Rabu Gilliman as the Lord Regent of the Imperium. At the same time, they still believe that their original mission to defend the Kairos sector is the reason for their existence and would refuse redeployment of its forces, even if the request came from the Lord Regent himself. Roughly half of the chapter is Primaris, but with the increased stability and advantages of Primaris Gene Seed, Coupled with battlefield attrition, it is only a matter of time before the entire chapter becomes a completely primaris chapter. However, until that happens, the seventh sons utilize their primaris brothers as their cult and doctrine dictates and not how the Lord Regent dictates. Very cool. So that was a lot of information. Thank goodness I was taking notes. Um, <laughs> let's just, so at the very beginning, you were talking about the cemetery world, and I was wondering 
does it affect the population at all? Are they like super dour? Like, no, they're they're because they're so freaking focused on the the fact that they have to do this mission. They are called on by the God Emperor. Mm-hmm. They're just folks. They're they're complete zealots. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's talk into the big part of this. Was talking about just the different sons and what happens to the sons and daughters of this system. Uh, we're going to start. Why did you choose seven? Is there a hidden meaning there at all? <laughs> no, 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 no. The uh, I was actually doing a play on, you know, how you hear the uh, most Christians will say seven is the holy number of God or sure. his number. Yeah, that's what I was doing a play on is I remember being raised. My mom was like, oh, seven, seven is God's number. <laughs> <laughs> nice. OK, so just you're taking some of your family tradition and putting it into your lore. Very nice. Yes. Uh, do, uh, are you are these imperial citizens aware that seven is the number of Nurgle? <laughs> uh, I am. They are not. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, Mortarion comes knocking. so the one thing you wrote in here too that i found was hilarious was like just how it kind of goes into what we're talking about how they don't know much about 40k like they don't know the number of seven is actually nurgle's number they don't know that the emperor actually had 20 sons they think exactly and it it's one of those things where like we have all the information of 40k we have wikipedia where people in that setting, they don't know a damn thing. So like getting away with this weird lie, I think it's such a cool way to do it. Well, and it's, see, that's the thing is it's imperial propaganda from the beginning, right? Yeah. So, and it's, this was founded 4,000 years after the, sure. they were uh, the Horus heresy. And then it's been so, around for 6,000 years. And that's a lot of, exactly. a lot of telephone tag there. <laughs> yes. And so overall it just ends up, it just got lost. You know, yeah. they don't talk about the, the heretical um horus primarchs because hell those guys you don't want to emulate those at all <laughs> and then if nobody knew because about sanguinius or ferris manus and they're but they're dead by the time they could go as far as an imperial citizen knows there's seven of those guys <laughs> sure <laughs> i like that <laughs> so that was my take on it <laughs> i like that i like that you even have which ones might even not have made it <laughs> exactly <laughs> Uh, and then it's cool. So the people on the planet, they, they have their birth order and how much that their birth order affects who they are. Uh, I really like how you've thought them out. Uh, I think if I was wanting to be born here, I think I would probably want to do, uh, it was the fourth and the fifth and just being ordained in the manufactorums, just building things. I'm a little builder boy, yeah. building bolter yep. shells for my lords. <laughs> yep. Here's a tank. Here's a tank. <laughs> or maybe even, even the, the, uh, the sixth one that all they do is um, dig holes in the cemetery <laughs> yeah. and bury people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You would get fucking uh, jacked after doing that for a fucking or, 10 decades. <laughs> yeah. And your back would be broke. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's very cool. Very well thought out how like everybody has their place. Uh, what happens if a woman is barren and cannot fulfill the obligation of having these seven children? Um, servitor. She's just instantly servitor. (laughs) Yep. You're, you're barren. We need a cherub. Cool. You're now a cherub. Yeah. And then I'm assuming based off that answer, there's no, like, you're not allowed to be like, I'm 45 now and still don't have my seventh. Maybe it'll happen one day. Like you have to actively be trying, right? 
Yeah, they well it, because it's artificial insemination. It's mm. they know pretty well. Hey, here it is. Yeah, here's your yearly fucking up semen appointment. <laughs> I know I some of my away. friends who who do that too with their wives, and it's sad, but should get that, that down to a more reasonable number. Uh, <laughs> so what else did I write down here? Order of the Righteous Martyrs. Uh, are you thinking about doing a Sisters of Battle convent, or is that an existing thing? Or No, it was just because it was a Ecclesiarch-ran um, moon, they have to have their their nuns. Yeah. So that's yeah. why I just put them in there. Yeah, no, that's a great little filler for sure. Uh, and then the other thing I really liked at the end there, you're talking just about how Primaris get accepted into the chapter. Um, but even though they have Primaris... They, they still adopt into the chapter and they don't even take orders from the regent, from Gilliman anymore. They, and the reason is because they know what their job is. They're like, no, no, no. We've been here doing this for 6,000 years. We're going to do it for another fucking 20,000 years. And yeah, exactly. They, they know their spot. Yep. Um, and it kind of even just like space Marines are still autonomous at the end of the day. You do request their, their activity. Um, they're not beholden to Imperial Guard commanders, not even necessarily to the the imperium because you know they don't want one person to have all the power they wanted these small autonomous chapters so no more heresy exactly. could happen exactly yeah it was a cool little nod there um yeah was there anything else you want to share or expand upon um no so the reason why as i see it the reason they put this birth order is to control where everybody goes because the first time they said yeah. screw it have seven kids and then it just went out out of shit control yeah. <laughs> so this is just uh, ecclesiarchy doing propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> to maintain their power. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're you're born into a system, it's nice. You feel like you're one with it. It's a great way to just indoctrinate them further. Exactly. That was the point. Yeah. Very nice. Cool. Combat doctrine. We'll carry on. The seventh sons specialize in defense, just like their progenitor chapter, but have adopted the doctrine to incorporate movement on the battlefield. During engagements, the Suns favor hammer and anvil tactics. They use Hammerfell bunkers in greater num number than other chapters. They will drop a large number of them in front of an onrushing horde at exactly one kilometer at time of impact, while also using drop pods and overloaded gunships to insert force forces sufficient to hold its own against the oncoming horde. Once the enemy has been engaged by the first force, the second wave is launched into the flanks of the enemy. This is the more mobile asset of the company. The third and final wave is the heavy assault attack. It is at the discretion of the cap company captain as to where that wave is directed, launched either to the rear, flanks, or even bolster the first, first wave force. The Suns value a certain amount of flexibility in their tactics, which is probably what caused the shift away from the Codex Astartes. Seventh Sun. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? 
What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. ...are not locked into this as the only way of warfare, for they also excel in conducting boarding actions. This is the preferred method of defending the key systems under their protection. Also, with the ready access to the Zion Armor Regiment, a preferred tactic is to land the tank regiments first and wait for them to be fully enmeshed in battle with the enemy, and then launch overwhelming draw pod assault attacks directly into battle. It is reason that it is easier to replace a full company of tanks and crew than to raise one human to become a full-fledged battle brother. That's some cool tactics to hammer an anvil. <laughs> yeah, and just... I, I read a bunch of it like that and I was like, you know, that's with this wall doctrine of Imperial fist kind of, they would establish a themselves as a wall or their, you know, those bunkers yeah. and let the horde just smash up against it. Yeah. And then come in and flank them and just trap them. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and then the boarding actions. And I was thinking, I was like, you know, Hey, they don't want to have be fighting all the battles on their planets. So they've got to go board those fuckers. Yeah, that makes sense. You stop them before they even set foot. And it just goes back into the, like that one planet. They have to have a chant where they're like, no one's ever stepped here. It's like, yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. No, I, I like that. That's cool. Um, I also like, yeah, easier to make another tank regiment than to make an Astartes, which is totally true. Like, That's exactly true. Like, yeah, like we don't, yeah, Astartes are crazy. You have to, it's like a six-year time investment minimum to get one. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And if you have a whole freaking planet making tanks, that's that's easy. That's easy. That's that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about you read a recruitment? So that'll leave me with organization because it's kind of flowy. Okay, sounds good. Recruitment. <laughs> with the population of Zion for zeal to serve the god emperor, the seven sons have a steady flow of aspirants. Once a year, every seventh offspring male that is 10 years old is brought to a large landing field outside of either of the hive cities. Thunderhawks of the seven sons, along with multiple chaplains, await their arrival. The festival of the ordained takes place the day before where the youths are celebrated as heroes. They will no doubt become. Every citizen assumes that the revered male seventh offspring always becomes a battle brother of the seven sons. Why else would the God Emperor send such a holy gift to be anything but a hero? <laughs> uh, <laughs> a nice little lie there. I like it. Yep. <laughs> as soon as the Thunderhawks are full, they return to the massive orbital platform that is their seventh sun fortress monastery, Aegeus. The moment they step onto the Aegeus, their excitement quickly turns to fear and pain as they begin the weeding out process. Any aspirant that has any genetic flaws are sent immediately to the forges to fulfill their duty to the God Emperor as a servitor. 
any aspirant that is found to be not compatible with the gene seat is sent to fill current chapter surf needs. Should there ever be a time that there is no need for any chapter serfs due to all the positions being filled, that aspirant is sent to the forge to fulfill their duty to the god emperor as a servitor. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> Should any chaos corruption be detected by the company librarians, the aspirant is destroyed and their ashes are gathered into small servitor guided vessel launched into the sun once the cargo compartment is full of ash. Fuck. <laughs> okay, you're doing these guys dirty, but they're still heroes of the Imperium, damn it. Exactly. <laughs> once the aspirants have been weeded down to only the most likely successful candidates for gene seed implementation, they are assigned a company and begin the long strenuous road to become a full battle brother. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, I really like that. Do you have like a bunch of, would you ever consider doing like chapter serfs going to the, going to war with the Stardis, like side by side, almost as a guard regiment, or are they kind of all behind the scenes? They're behind the scenes. They're all the guys that just do the lapping powder on the armor and yeah, that yeah. stuff. Make sure the purity seals are stuck on people. Yeah. Okay. And, and help fly the ship. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah, cause like, yeah, it's cool. Like they obviously don't need a whole bunch of those guys and they're going to get a bunch, but they just servitize whatever ones they don't really need. The excess, that's where they go. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, the festival of the ordained. I like that you have a couple of these festivals or rituals. The other one you mentioned was, yeah. I forget what it's called, but, uh, it's cool that you got just some quick little names. Yep. All right. All right. Let's jump into organization. The Seventh Sons are a non-Codex compliant chapter, starting even with a number of companies they have chosen to have and how they are to be operated. The chapter uses seven large companies of roughly 150 battle brothers and neophytes. The decision to go to this force organization was seemed justified and non-heretical for hadn't another scion of Dorne, Sigismund, organized the Black Templars in a similar fashion. The next stark difference is the lack of a first company comprised only of veterans or a 10th company of only neophytes. Instead, the first two squads of any company are comprised of its company veterans and have access to the weapons, relics, and armor that will be accessed by a veteran in a codex compliant chapter. The next seven squads are line battle brother squads that are always manned to full strength of 10 pre-deployment. The 10th through 12th squads operate as reserve squads. These are the youngest of the company's full battle brothers. They exist for supporting roles and where casualties are replaced in the line squads. The last three squads are the neophytes that operate as scouts and other roles before they have been given the full black carapace. The first squad of veterans is always firstborn and have access to Terminator Warplate, as well as Artificer Armor and Centurion Warsuits. The second veteran squad is the Primaris Veterans, where they have access to Gravis Armor and Aggressor Armor, so they can operate as Blade Guards or Aggressors. The Lion Squads are always broken down into three regular squads, comprised of either Intercessors or Firstborn regular squads. Then, two Fast Attack Squads consist of Jump Pack Marines, Inceptors, or Bikes. The last two are heavy support squads in the form of Devastators, Hellblasters, or Eradicators. Because of the proximity to Forge World Rebus, the Seven Sons can support each company with seven Dreadnoughts of varying types, including the transition of Redemptor-class Dreadnoughts 
for their new Primaris brothers. Another advantage of Rebus is the number of tech marines the Sons can call upon. This is important due to the heavy use of hammerfall bunkers and the need to repair them, as well as maintain their company dreadnoughts. At each of the three systems, there is a company station for the defense of that system, along with its strike cruiser and attending ships. Each company spends a period of three years defending that system. During this time, there is a concerted push for the companies to get to full strength for their first 12 squads, while getting as many neophytes as far along in the process of becoming full Battle Brothers. Three of the remaining four companies spend those same three years on seek and destroy missions. There is a pre-arranged schedule on which direction to take. Each time, at least one is sent into the Segmentum Pacificus to keep pressure on the orc presence so that they never reach full wah potential. Thus, keeping a strong, aggressive stance ensures the defense of the Cairo system. This rotation leaves one company to go on an extended 21-year crusade in the direction the chapter master deems to be the direst position. This company takes the chapter's one battle barge, the Blade of the Kairos, on this crusade unless the defense of the system requires it. At the start of each crusade, a full 100 neophytes are attached to the crusading company, as well as additional tech marines and apothecaries. There are 10 additional dreadnoughts permanently stationed on the Blade of Kairos that also get attached to the crusade company's command. Upon returning from their 21-year crusade, the company then rejoins the rotation of three years of defense and three years of seek and destroy missions to rebuild its strength, and another company embarks on a new 21-year crusade. That's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really like that. We'll come back to that for sure. I always mix veterans and scouts into my battle companies as well. I think that's such a cool way to do it. Yeah, and the other thing I hate about the Codex ones is why have four battle uh, companies and then like a full set of all Devastators and a full set of, I just thought that was stupid. So yeah. we just do it with, you know, hell, we're all, we're one operating company that operates as a whole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Makes sense. Uh, it's cool too. They have like that higher amount of tech Marines just due to their proximity and all that and the need, obviously, of Hammerfell bunkers. Uh -huh. That's pretty sweet. Um I also like that the companies are spread out across the system. Like, yeah, you're there for three years. You defend that. Like, these are the assets we are here to defend. Though, so we should be there. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then obviously like that crusading fleet is fucking sweet. The 21 year crusading fleet, which I do recognize is seven divided by, you know, divisible by seven. So I'm just saying, just saying, I get it. I see and it, it also. And it also fits in that three-year rotation. I had to do the math. I was like, okay, they're going three out, three back. When does <laughs> how many years do they link up? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's I don't cool. Math well. <laughs> uh, and they leave with a hundred neophytes, and that's just like uh, new recruits, right? Yep, that's great to to just keep them going. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, because I guess they don't have any access to yeah uh, recruiting new marines on the way out. They don't stop by any planets and do that. Exactly, they have to only get them from Zion Four. Yeah, very cool. Uh, yeah, very cool. Okay, the the armory. The Seven Suns have one battle barge, six strike cruisers, and fourteen frigates. The Seven Suns armory does not have any Terminator warplate. However, they make up for it with a higher number of artificial armor for Firstborn and Gravis for the Primaris veterans. It, did, did you change this or did I get a weird copy? No, I thought it, you did have it. 
no, no, you I think you meant it. I must have did it wrong. The Seventh Sons Army does not have many Terminator warplanes. Oh, I just misread it. Okay, so they do have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah, not yeah. a lot. And then they lot. have the Artificer armor instead. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, and Artificer armor is just like super high quality power armor. Very cool. Because they have more tech marines that can do that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, along with the large number of dreadnoughts, the Suns also make a good sized fleet for predators and repulsors. This number being inflated due to the Forge World's desire to stay as safe as possible by arming their duty swarm defenders and keeping them well stocked. The Suns only have access to four land raiders and they are permanently stationed on the Blade of Kairos. Lastly, each company maintains enough Thunderhawks, Overlords, and Drop Pods to operate efficiently. Seven Suns have access to all Codex compliant Space Marine armaments. However, due to their preference for fighting orcs, they favor Bolters and Flamers. Of course. Yeah. Um, them, them having like a bunch of tanks and wanting to do that, that also t- kind of would help with uh, the way the Guard do war with tanks and stuff. I yeah. mean, they can kind of exactly. fight side by side. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Cool. Um, and I tried to give them like a, I know I put a lot of more dreadnoughts into them. <laughs> so I toned it down on the land raiders, you know, just to sure. try to not marry Sue this bitch. <laughs> yeah. One land raider is worth four dreadnoughts. That is the official math given by GW. Okay. So sounds, sounds good. <laughs> yeah. No, that's cool. <laughs> um, yeah. Like so far it doesn't seem like there's anything too crazy. Like it's just kind of standard numbers, just diff, just organized differently, you know? Yes, exactly. It's still in that number um, of the 150 uh, uh, Space Marines basically comes out to like 1,050 or some. It's not that far off. Yeah, I kind of assumed as much, too. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's a standard size chapter, just organized different. Yes, exactly. All right. Appearance. The Seven Suns color scheme is yellow armor with a white helmet and white trim. They do not change the color of their trim to distinguish between the different companies. Rather, they use the Roman numeral of their company designation on their left knee pad. Chaplains only paint their helmet black, but leave the same color scheme of yellow on their armor. The sons do not see reason to change the color of their librarians or apothecaries. They feel that it only causes them to stand out and therefore become greater targets to the enemy. All standard battle brothers wear a uniform armor color scheme, with the only individual changes being locations of where the purity seals are. When a battle brother reaches veteran status, he is authorized to add to his appearance. This is usually in the form of tabards or tokens of heraldry. The only time a seventh son is ever seen in battle without a helmet is if the said helmet degrades the son's functionality. No unhelmeted space marines. Good, 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 good. Like, sure, you know, they go right in asteroid belt. They... The odd guy takes his helmet off. That that's just standard, though, right? You're telling me, please. Yes. Oh no, they keep them fuckers on. That's not very Astartes of you. Uh, no, no, it's it's Astartes stay alive. So you kill them. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Uh, then, also, then a a, a las bolt takes you out from hitting you in the eye. <laughs> well, Space Moon's skin is small arms resistant, so this is true. You know, whatever. Uh, that might. My chapter has no guys without helmets. Yeah, very cool. I'm, my army. No, I get it. You can't paint faces. I get it. I get it. That's exactly right. 
so tech marines, you mentioned chaplains, you mentioned librarians, you mentioned apothecaries. Do tech marines wear red or are they kind of like nope. the librarians and the apothecaries? Uh, that's the same one. Everybody wears their yellow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I also like veterans. They get a little more uh, direction or it allowed a little more freedom with their armor and yes. stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and then we get to the last one, Chapter Heroes. Chapter Heroes. If you want to read the first guy, since he's the big honcho. Um, okay. Chapter Master Eleazar. Chapter Master Eleazar is the current Chapter Master and the 29th to hold that office. He was elevated by his peers when his predecessor died while fighting a greater demon of Nurgle. The then Captain Eleazar rushed into combat with a greater demon, just as it was about to consume the body of the dead Chapter Master. During the fight, the greater demon broke Eleazar's power fist disruptor generator, yet the power fist remained on his hand, albeit inert. Eleazar dropped his own smoking plasma pistol to grab the fallen chapter master's thunder hammer and re-engage with the demon with both hammer and fist, eventually sending it back to the warp. Then the demon was banished, when the demon was banished back to the warp and the rest of the demon sent after Eleazar was found by his command squad standing over the fallen chapter master with a power fist in one hand and a thunder hammer in his other. Even after crossing the Rubicon, chapter master Eleazar still wields this combination of weapons. That's sweet. Uh, classic hero. Uh, cool weapon combination. I like it. Yeah, I took, that's my, uh, that's how I did a little change on uh, Tor, Tor Garadon. Okay. I just put a, uh, I put a uh, thunder hammer in his left hand. Uh, what kind of thunder hammer bit? Uh, I forget which one. It's just the, I think the old, the old style of okay. um, from the Storm Shield uh, Terminators. Nice. Okay. Okay. Cool. 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 Yeah. Some people have like the, there's a bunch of crazy thunder hammers nowadays. So yes. Okay. The next guy, Chapter Champion Hazariel. When Chapter Master Elazar stated that he would be the first of his chapter to face the Rubicon, his chapter master, chapter champion, Hezreel, objected. Hezreel stated that it was his duty to protect the chapter master, as it should be he that goes first. When chapter, when chapter master Lazar refused to heed Hezreel's request, the chapter champion challenged the chapter master to a duel of first blood to challenge Lazar's decision. This duel lasted more than two hours for Hazarel held back his skill as to not further damage Eleazar's pride by defeating him too quickly. Once Hezreel defeated the chapter master in the duel, he immediately left for the Apothecarium to cross the Rubicon. Hezreel did not survive the crossing due to an error in the implementation of the Rubicon. As such, fulfilled his role as chapter champion. <laughs> That's fucking cool. I wasn't expecting him to die. <laughs> That's why it says former in that one. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> right, no, that. <laughs> My heart. <laughs> yes. It was, that was just a small one. I just threw a little nod out there. Yeah. That's um, nice. All right. Chapter champion, Terracus. Current. Terracus, along with a squad of Terminators, once teleported directly into a Gorkonaut that was wreaking havoc on an Iron Knight regiment during the Gruel campaign. Slowly, one by one, the Orc Titan's weapons began to fall silent. However, it was not enough to save even one tank from the Iron Knight 66 Regiment. When the Gorkonaut finally blew up, it was thought that Terracus and his squad had perished. 
Three hours later, when the purging of the battlefield was being conducted, Tarakus emerged from the rubble, still holding his thunder hammer and storm shield, and dried orc blood covering his Terminator warplate. <laughs> Fucking badass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, right. There was this cool uh, 40k video game called uh, Warhammer 40k Kill Team. And basically, yeah, you, you invade this like orc ship. But it gives me that vibe where you're just running around smashing shit. Smashing and you're like, yeah, and you're like, I don't even know if this was actively a generator of pilot junk. It all looks the same, but it's all getting wrecked. <laughs> and the, the story behind this is I had a friend who actually had a Gorkonaut actually fully painted and nobody would face him. Yeah. So one day he brought it to the office and I took a bunch of Vindicators and Predators and Lysander. <laughs> and when it was all said and done, the only one living was Lysander with one wound left. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. It's because he had eternal that eternal warrior thing back in what fifth or sixth edition, where even though it was ten times the strength or double the strength, he still mm. survived. Yeah, I couldn't auto kill him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. Okay, Emmerich, keeper of the crusade. Emmerich was entombed in his sarcophagus in M38 after being trampled to near death by a carnifex. After 200 years of service, Emmerich was permanently stationed on the Blade of Kairos as the Keeper of the Crusade. The Keeper of the Crusade has a primary duty of recording the deeds of the company during its 21-year-long crusade. His chassis is modified with lenses all over it to constantly record during battle. Once the battle is complete and Emmerich back on the board, the Blade of Kairos, he downloads all of the video feeds into a bank of 100 servitors that lie in his personal arming chambers. These servitors have their brains all linked together through neural links in a manner that allow near-perfect recall of recorded images once back on Zion 4 to display the chapter master Elazar at the conclusion of each crusade. Emmerich's chassis is equipped with two twin-linked autocannons which allow Emmerich to engage his foes at a distance and still record the battle around him. That guy's yes. sweet. That's a cool role. Like I, somebody who is kind of always with the, the rotating crusade, you know, he's there always. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I actually have a model for him. Um, it's a dread that's got the two, two twin link auto cannons, like the Deo dread knot or whatever it was called. Yeah. 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 And I used a, uh, the chaplain face uh, front up to him. So that's pretty badass. Nice. You're going to have to post pictures of that to the Discord. Do you have uh, these models for a lot of these heroes? or? Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, okay. Well, Terracus is just Lysander. Yeah. And I have a, a guy that's for Hezreal too. Uh, and I have a Lazar and I do have just Emmerich. I actually have all four of them. Fuck, I just nice. realized that. Very cool. Yeah, I like that. I like that Dreadnought. I like his position. Uh, and yeah, and, and like that honor of just like recording everything all the time. That's very yep. cool. <laughs> yep. yep and that's it i didn't go any further i got that's sweet links. uh where would you like to take this chapter going further um i think what i'm going to do is i'm going to start picking out characters and writing some story lore for okay. them okay yeah i've like, established the setting yeah like this is a perfect lexicanum article it gets my mind racing with a bunch of possibilities of the setting yes. now i want to actually yes. be in the setting perfect exactly that was what i was thinking okay i like it uh, well, fuck, I can't wait to read what you have. Uh, <laughs> do, do you write uh, first story or first person stories or anything like that? This, this is the first thing I've written because you told me to write it up. <laughs> it's, all, it's been in my head floating around and I just spent a whole day 
not at work? Yeah. Typing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. You know, what else are you going to do at work, not at work? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, no, it's sweet. Like I, I highly encourage everyone to write down, like it just, it helps you solidify your ideas, come up with more stuff. And obviously then you can share it with people in an actual, like tangible way. Yes. And I figured doing it this way would give me starting points and leap off points for stories rather than doing blank. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it's sweet. I, I really like how that the chapter recruits populations or not even just the chapter, but the system, what they do with their populations. I think that's so fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like the couple digs in there that you got, you know, some fucking <laughs> seven, yeah. seven primaries. Uh, but I, I do have one problem with you, Lord. Did you know that okay. usually uh, the seventh son would be like the worst fucking son? They're like bad eggs. Wouldn't you want the first? Wouldn't you want the best? Uh, it, doesn't fit into, it doesn't fit the propaganda. Oh, okay. okay. So, <laughs> so we're, we're going to take the runt of the litter and turn him into a, into a, a space marine. Perfect. Okay. Fair enough. Whatever. (laughs) No, very cool. I really like that. Uh, Do you have pictures of your guard regiment as well? Do you have models? I don't. No, I don't. I I literally built them into the story. Just okay. Okay. Nice. Well, next time you want to spend a hundred bucks, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Cool. Uh, Honey, I need tanks. (laughs) Honey, I need need tanks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's not the first time she's heard that. (laughs) No. Oh, man. Uh, no, that's good. I mean, this is that's my chapter. Sweet. And yeah, I can't wait to read the first actual uh, story about them. Uh, I, I can't wait to write it. Cool. Uh, well, thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. And uh, yeah, like I said, go write, go write your lore and send it in to me. Do uh, do some do some labor of love and put your words to paper. <laughs> All right. Exactly. Well, see you on the next episode of Lorehammer Listener Lore. Thanks again. Later. Thanks for listening. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page and support the show at Lorehammer Listener Lore. See you next episode. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.